The Bible, the Word of God, a living manuscript that gives life and brings light. The truth found in its pages serves as our guide when we're lost, our refuge in times of trouble, conviction in moments of weaknesses, courage and wisdom in the face of life circumstances, whatever they are. Listen, reading scripture isn't about fulfilling an obligation. It's not something to be checked off a to-do list. It's about spending time daily growing closer to the heart of God. As we do this, we get exactly what we need for our moments right now. This is our daily step. Good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning. I'm so thankful for what God's doing among us. So thankful for worship this morning and just being in God's presence today. So excited about what he's teaching us. Let me ask you this. What are the things that you do on a daily basis? What are the things that you do every day? I mean, it's just a part of your routine. Brush your teeth, I hope. Way to go, you know. Uh, Take a shower, I hope, for the people around you. Put on deodorant. I mean, I hope those things are important. Eating, social media, what are those things that you just do every single day? Well, what about this? Prayer. What, what about this? Reading God's word, reading the Bible. What about this? Having spiritual conversations with your children or with your roommates or your friends. What about growing deeper in your love for God? You're deeper in your love for others. What about those things? Our heartbeat here at Rolling Hills is that those would become a part of our daily routine, just like brushing our teeth and eating, that it would become so natural for us. It would just flow out of us. This relationship with God would be contagious in every area of our life. And you think about what a difference that would make, right? What a difference that would make instead of living life on our own power, that we're living life under the power of God, that we're filled with the joy of Christ, and we have hope and promise that situations are getting us down, but that we are full and complete in Christ, and we know our worth and our value comes from Him, and that's our heartbeat. We're a part of a two-year process called the Next Steps, and it's a big initiative that we're taking as a church, and we're challenging everybody to take a next step in your spiritual walk, in your spiritual growth, and I love this. Because so many people have been baptized. Man, they're saying, that's my next step. I'm a follower of Christ. I want to be baptized. And so many people are going on mission trips. They're like, I've never gone on a mission trip before, but I'm, I'm trusting God. I'm following. I'm going. And it's my next step. People are joining the church saying, I want to lock arms. I want to be a part of what God's doing here. People are tithing for the first time and trusting God with their finances. But what I believe is really happening is under the surface. What I believe is, is we're taking a daily step together as a church. And we're committing to read the Bible every day for two years. And and through two years, we're going to read through the entire Bible. And we're committing to pray every day. And what we're seeing is lives being impacted. And it's subtle, but it's impacting families. And it's impacting neighborhoods. And it's impacting communities. And it's impacting the body of Christ as we grow deeper in the faith. As we grow more mature in our walk with the Lord. And it impacts everything. Here's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, He must deny himself and take up his cross, what? Daily and follow me. And take up his cross daily, right? To lay down your own agenda and say, God, it's your agenda. Take up the cross. I'm going to be a part of what you're doing, God. And it's not just a Christmas and Easter calling that God gives to us. It's not just a, you know, two Sundays of a month, a calling that God gives to us. It's an everyday following Jesus with our lives. That's when the Christian life comes alive. That's when all of a sudden we experience the joy and the peace and the purpose that God wants us to have. When we say, God, every day I'm yours. I'm yours. I love seeing this happen. 
A couple of weeks ago, I was at our other campus, South Nashville, and a lady came up and she said, Pastor Jeff, you wouldn't believe. She goes, I didn't grow up going to church, right? And, and I didn't grow up reading the Bible. And she said, you know, so I've come to church, I've accepted Christ, I've been baptized. She goes, but I just realized that we have this whole daily step thing. And she said, several weeks ago, I, I, I got the journal and it had this thing about the Bible readings. And then I downloaded the app on my phone. And so I have the Rolling Hills app now where I can listen to the Old Testament passage, the New Testament passage. So every day when we're driving to school, I put it on my phone and in the car, we're listening together at the kids. And then we stop and we get to talk about it. She goes, it's incredible. I never even knew this kind of stuff was in the Bible, you know, and I'm hearing this and my kids are hearing this. And I'm like, yeah, I'm hearing about people doing family devotionals or people writing blogs and around this daily step as we read an Old Testament passage, a New Testament passage every day. And as we pray and just say, God, we want to align our lives with you. We want to align our lives with you. Here's what C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis said, each day we are becoming a creature of splendid glory or one of unthinkable horror. And what C.S. Lewis, I think, was getting at is every day it's a commitment. Every day to follow Christ. Every day to put our focus on Christ. Because if we don't, what happens? You know, one day goes by, two days go by, three days, five days, a year, five years, ten years. And all of a sudden we wake up and go, how did I get here? I wanted to be there. I wanted to be following Christ. I wanted to be a man or a woman after his heart. I wanted to be passionate about him. I wanted to be in love with him. And somehow I drifted, right? Somehow other things in the world just kind of consumed me. And so we're coming back and saying, church, 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 let's go together. And let's take a daily step and let's grow in our relationship with him. So I'm excited you're here today because today we're going to focus just on our daily step passage. It's found in Job chapter 20 and also 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Some of you may have already read that this morning. Praise God, it's great. And maybe if you, some of you haven't been on board yet, that's okay. We have a free Bible for you. If you want a Bible, you can stop by the information center in the gallery. We'll give you a free Bible. There's journals out there as well. But jump in with us and let's start taking a daily step. Let's start reading through God's word and watch God's word transform us. God's word never returns void. That's the great thing about God's word. And you can read a passage one time, you can read it 300 times, but somehow God speaks through the power of his Holy Spirit and changes us. So I'm really glad you're here today. If you have a Bible, open with me to the book of Job. Job's in the Old Testament. A lot of people think it's a job because it's spelled the same way, right? But it's Job. And uh, you know, you've got Job here. It's right before Psalms. So if you open to the middle of the Bible, you'll probably end up in the book of Psalms. Go to the left and you'll be in Job. Or maybe you have a mobile device with you. Uh, you can access the scriptures online or also we'll put the words on the screen. So let me give you an overview. We're going to start in Job chapter 1. We'll get to our text, which is Job chapter 20. We'll read through that. But before we get to Job 20, just want to give you kind of an overview of Job. I mean, it is an awesome book, you guys. I mean, really, it is so powerful for us. And so Job chapter 1, there's 12 blanks. If you're taking notes in the worship guide, I'm going to try to hit them all for all the type A personalities. If I miss one, come see me afterwards. But Job was a righteous man, okay? Job was a righteous man. It doesn't mean he was sinless. But he was a man just like, you know, many of us. I mean, like you, you know, we were trying, he was pursuing God. He loved God. He wanted to follow God, wanted to do great things for God, for his kingdom. He was a, a, a husband. He was a father. He was a righteous man. And, and one day, Satan comes to God. Now, Satan hates God, okay? Satan is our enemy. Satan hates God. But God is sovereign. He is God, right? And Satan knows he can't do anything to get to God. So what does Satan do? He goes after God's children, you know? 
It's just like, if you want to do something to me, that's one thing. But you got for my kids, oh, a whole different ballgame. So, so Satan comes to God and God says to Satan, well, have you considered my servant Job? I mean, look at Job. He is faithful. He loves me. And Satan's like, well, you know why he loves you? You've blessed him. I mean, he's rich. I mean, Job's got seven sons and three daughters. He's got thousands of cattle and camels and 500 donkey and oxen. I mean, this guy is wealthy. He's got servants. He's got all kinds of things. No wonder he loves you. In fact, God, he doesn't really love you. He loves all the blessings. I bet if all that was gone, God, he wouldn't really be faithful to you. And God goes, okay, test him. Whoa. So Satan tested Job. Satan tested Job. And in one day, here's what happens. Job is there, and all of a sudden, one of his servants comes running up to him and says, Job, 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 you wouldn't believe it, but the Sabaeans, they, they came, and they surprised, attacked us, and they carried off much of your livestock, and they killed many of your servants. I'm the only one who escaped. And Job's just like, what? And while he's standing there, another servant comes running up, Job, Job, you wouldn't believe it, but, but fire just came in and consumed much of your livestock, and and your servants, and I'm the only one who escaped. And while he's saying this, another servant comes running up and says, Job, Job, you wouldn't believe it, but the Chaldeans formed a raiding party, and they came down, and they took all your, all your camels. It's all gone, and, and your servants, I'm the only one who escaped. All your livestock, everything is gone. And while he's saying this, another servant comes running up and says, Job, Job, your sons and your daughters were feasting at the oldest son's house, and there was a storm that came, and it blew the house, and, and your sons and your daughters are dead. And I'm the only one who escaped. And I came to tell you. Can you imagine? I mean, Job's just standing there like, what? It'd be like you coming home, you know, and you, you pull up and all of a sudden you realize your house has been robbed and everything's taken and, and something pops up on your phone and it's like the stock market's crashed and all your retirement's gone and, and next thing you know you get a text and some of your loved ones were in a plane crash and you're just like sitting there, what? Job, man, I mean, just this deep grief and this, Unbelievable pain and brokenness. And in Job chapter 1, in verse 20, here's how Job responded. It says that this, Job got up and tore his robe and he shaved his head. This is a sign of mourning, this sign of grief. Then he fell to the ground in worship. What? He fell to the ground in worship and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Whoa. Wow. How do you respond? How do I respond in hardships? How do we respond in difficult times? Well, Satan comes back to God and God goes, see, he's faithful, right? And Satan's like, yeah, because you didn't let me touch him. I mean, it's easy when all those other things are happening and livestock and all, but, but you didn't let me touch him. And, and God goes, okay, you just can't kill him. And so all these boils break out on Job's body and it's in such pain that he breaks pottery and he's just scratching himself and he's miserable. And his wife comes to him in Job chapter two and his wife said to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. <laughs> Thanks, honey. You know, <laughs> wow, you're encouraging. <sighs> And he replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. 
Again, he responded in faithfulness. Like, what? Man. If you keep going in Job chapter two, Job has these three friends that show up. And it's great. It's great for them to come, right? And when we're going through hard times or difficulties, there's the power of presence. A lot of times we're like, I don't know what to do. I mean, they're in, somebody's in the hospital or somebody's going through a hard time. I don't know what to say. All you, just be present. <laughs> there's power in presence. But these three friends show up and instead of bringing comfort to Job, they, they kind of like are guys and they're like wanting to solve this for him. And so they start saying, well, Job, the reason you're going through this is God's mad at you. God doesn't like you. You've sinned somehow. You've blown it somehow. And God is really mad at you and God is getting you back. You ever thought that? You ever been there, right? Car doesn't start. You're like, oh, oh, sorry, God. What did I do? You know, <laughs> it was me. You know, and so here's these three friends. And from Job chapter three all the way through Job chapter 37, there's this dialogue happening between Job and these friends. And these friends are like, Job, man, you've blown it. God hates you. God's mad at you. God's angry with you. And Job's just like, no, I, I don't understand it. I, I don't know, but I know God loves me. And I know God is with me, even in the pain and even in the hurt. I know God is here. And in Job chapter 19, if you're reading Daily Step, you read this yesterday. Job says in verse 25, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin, which is covered in boils right now, has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. Exclamation point. When you go through challenges and get this, and maybe, maybe even here today, maybe you're just in kind of one of those Job times in your life, man, it's too hard. If you're honest, man, you're just like, oh, it's hard. Or maybe you're in a great season. Maybe there's been a hard time in your past or maybe there's a time that's in the future. But I wanna tell you, those times when you go through difficulties, when you go through challenges, hear me today, listen, you have the opportunity to draw close to God because God is there. You hold on to him. And I've seen this so often when, when challenges come, people either move far away from God and try to solve it on their own and try to figure it out on their own or they pull in and just say, God, I don't understand this, but you're enough for me. And I'm going to hold on to you because, God, you are faithful. And Job did that. And then we come to Job chapter 20, which is kind of our text for the day. And and one of his friends responds, right? And this guy has terrible theology, all right? I mean, this guy's doctrine is way off. But he speaks. And he says to Job, then Zophar, the Naphilite, he replied, my troubled thoughts prompt me to answer because I'm greatly disturbed. I hear a rebuke that dishonors me and my understanding inspires me to reply, surely you know how it's been from of old, ever since man was placed on the earth, that the mirth of the wicked is brief. He's like, Job, you're wicked. I mean, this has been the whole story the whole time. I mean, when bad things happen, you you know, God's mad at you. The joy of the godless lasts but a moment. Though his pride reaches to the heavens and his head touches the clouds, he will perish forever like his own dung. (laughs) Those who have seen him will say, where is he? Like a dream, he flies away, no more to be found. Banished like a vision in the night. The eye that saw him will not see him again. His place will look on him no more. His children must make amends to the poor. His own hands must give back his wealth. The youthful vigor that fills his bones will lie with him in the dust. 
Though evil is sweet in its mouth and he hides it under his tongue, though he cannot bear to let it go and keeps it in his mouth, yet his food will turn sour in his stomach. It will become the venom of serpents within him. He will spit out the riches he swallowed. God will make his stomach vomit them up. He will suck the poison of serpents. The fangs of an adder will kill him. He will not enjoy the streams, the rivers flowing with honey and cream. What he toiled for, he must give back uneaten. He will not enjoy the profit from his trading, for he has oppressed the poor not, and left them destitute. He has seized houses he did not build. Surely he will have no respite from his craving. He cannot save himself by his treasure. Nothing is left for him to devour. His prosperity will not endure. In the midst of his plenty, distress will overtake him. The full force of misery will come against him. When he has filled his belly, God will vent his burning anger against him and rain down his blows upon him. Though he flees from an iron weapon, a bronze-tipped arrow pierces him. He pulls it out of his back, the gleaming point out of his liver. Terrors will come over him. Total darkness lies in wait for his treasures. A fire unfanned will consume him and devour what is left in his tent. The heavens will expose his guilt. The earth will rise up against him. A flood will carry off his house, rushing waters on the day of God's wrath. Such is the fate God allots to the wicked, the heritage appointed for them by God. So his friend just calls him out and says, listen, Job, you have blown it. God is mad. God is angry. Right? That last verse. Such is the fate allots God allots to the wicked. And Job is like, no, no. God loves me. God cares about me. No. When you read chapter 20, you just feel like, man, this weight, right? Job, you've messed up. You've blown it. Have you ever been there? Have you ever just thought, you know what? God's mad at me. God's angry with me. Sometimes that theology falls over into our, into our lives, doesn't it? Sometimes when we go through difficulties, we just think, man, God's getting me. That's nothing new. And Job's friends, they struggle with that. You know what? The disciples even struggle with that. If you go into the gospel of John, John chapter nine, in, in verses one through three, Jesus is walking along and, and his disciples, they see a man born blind. And, and they look at Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, who sinned? This man or his parents that this man was born blind? Who sinned? <laughs> Jesus goes, guys, you're missing it. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Jesus said, guys, come on. That's not it at all. God is at work. You see, we live in a fallen world. We do. When God created the world, God created a perfect world. It was awesome. You remember Eden? You remember the garden? You remember fruit trees you could eat from? You remember man and, and woman there in perfect unity? You remember animals that they're getting along with? And then what happened? Sin entered the world. There's disobedience enters into this world. And what happens there? There's consequences for that. There's brokenness. There's hurt. There's pain. But God didn't just give up. God didn't say, well, I'm going to destroy you because forget it. God set into motion a plan to redeem mankind, to restore mankind. God is with us in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the hurt and the pain. God is there. And God is saying, hold on to me. Hold on to me. I'm not finished with you yet. I'm not finished writing your story. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Because the fact of the matter is this, hurt people hurt people. And all of us, we carry scars from what people have done to us, from the sin in this fallen world, in this broken world. 
And yet God says, you be faithful. You hold on. I'm not giving up on you. You don't give up on me. There's still more to come. If you keep going in the book of Job, and if you're reading in daily step, you'll be in chapter 21 tomorrow, and then you keep going. But I'm going to kind of fast forward to the end and show you what happens in Job 42. In Job 42, it's pretty remarkable. But it says this in verse 12, the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. In verse 16, after this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so he died old and full of years. What if Job would have given up? What if Job would have said, oh, fine, you're right, curse God and die. What if Job would have just walked away? God was not finished with him yet. And God's not finished with us. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Wherever you are today. You know, what's remarkable to me is if if you read the Bible chronologically, Job is one of the earliest books written. You know, I mean, you read obviously the creation narrative, but you get past Genesis chapter 12 and then you go right into the book of Job. Why? Because I think people have always had this problem with pain and suffering, right? People have always had this problem with pain and suffering. Why why do we endure that? Why doesn't God just take away all the pain? Why doesn't God just take away all the suffering? And God says, I will. I am. It's coming. (laughs) But not yet. The Bible tells us this, that God is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but to all to come to a relationship with him. That God is drawing this because God wants us to have a relationship with him, to learn to depend on him, to hold on to him. Now one day, God's gonna make things right. But God says, right now, right now, you hold on to me, you grow in me. See, there's three traditional defenses to the whole problem of pain and suffering. There's three traditional defenses. The first one is this, the free will defense. And the free will defense says, you know, this world is not all that there is. That when God created the world, God gave us a choice. And we can either obey God or we can sin. And we can reject God. And we do that. We have a daily, daily choice. As God draws us to himself and invites us into this relationship with him, every day we can choose, am I going to follow God or am I going to follow the things of this world? You know that. I know that. Am I going to stick with God or am I going to sin? Am I going to try to do it myself? Am I going to make it happen on my own? And in the midst of that sin, there's consequences But I love this verse in Romans 8, 28. This is kind of the theme verse of that whole free will. In fact, if you're taking notes, write this verse down. It says, and we know, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God works for the good. What does that mean? That that means this, that not all things are good, but that God is working for the good in your life. That God is taking the brokenness and the hurt and the pain and God is redeeming and restoring. God is there. God is with you. The second defense is the soul building defense. The soul building defense says this, that it's in the midst of our hurt and our pain that we grow the most. It's the midst of our struggles that we grow closer to God. I bet if you're honest, I bet if you look back over your life and you're honest, you will say some of the hardest times of your life are the times that you felt closest to God, right? 
Some of the hardest times when you were like, ah, and yet those were the times that you just felt God with you in ways that you never dreamed or never imagined. You just go, God is here. God is with me. And what happens many times is when things are easy, when they're comfortable, we kind of go, well, we don't need you, God, because we got money, you know, or we got success. We don't really need you. But when things are hard, we come back and we just hold on to God. And it says in James chapter one, verse two, it says, consider it pure joy, my brothers. Whenever you encounter trials of many kind, knowing that the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its works that you will be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Now, I don't know if I'm to the point where I consider it pure joy yet, you know, (laughs) I'll be honest with you, but, but I gotta tell you, there is something about that going, okay, I'm staying with God. I'm holding on to God. And the third defense is this, it's the eternity defense. And what that defense says is this, is this life is not all that there is. Yes, this is life, there's hurt, there's pain, there's brokenness. You know, we're probably the first generation that doesn't expect to go through some hard times. We're probably the first generation that doesn't expect to have challenges in the world. I mean, we're raising a generation that thinks it's all gonna be easy, but it's not. There's gonna be difficulties that you face. But the eternity defense says that this life is not all that there is. That the best is yet to be that God has something better for us, that one day when Jesus comes back, when Jesus calls us home, the Bible says that he will wipe away every tear from our eye, that all the pain will be gone, no more pain, no more suffering, that God will receive us into his kingdom for eternal joy, and God's saying, you hold on right now. I know it's hard, I know it's hard, but you hold on, hold on to me, because the best is yet to be. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, right, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal reward that far outweighs them all. And we look at it, we say, man, my troubles don't seem light and momentary right now. And God's going, in light of eternity, they are. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I love you. And I think what we learn from Job, and as you're reading through Job, and I just want you to remember this, is stay faithful. Stay faithful. God's still writing your story. And God's gonna use your story to impact so many other people. You hold on and you stay faithful. That's our Old Testament passage, right? Here's what C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis says this. He says, hardships often prepare ordinary people for an extraordinary destiny. That's what God's working in your life and working in my life. As you move from the book of Job in the Old Testament, you move to our New Testament reading. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter four. 1 Thessalonians chapter four, verses one through 12. And, and here the apostle Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica. And it's a great church. It's a church that the Apostle Paul helped establish probably about three years earlier. It is a young church. It's a vibrant church. There's so many good things happening. And Paul's now in Corinth, probably about AD 51. And he's thinking about the church there in Thessalonica and how much he loves the church. And if you've been reading through 1 Thessalonians, you know, I mean, there's just a special relationships there. And Paul writes back as like this loving parent writing and just to encourage the church to encourage the church. You know what's special is today is we recognize seniors. And we are so honored and we are so excited for you guys and that you're graduating and many of you are graduating from high school or some of you are graduating college, some of you are graduating with your master's or your PhD, but this is a transition in your life. And as a church, we want you to know how proud we are of you. You know, so many people who have taught you and preschool and children and student ministry that have poured into you. So many people have given financially for you can do mission trips and camps and you have a church that loves you. And I think the apostle Paul just feels this connection like that to the church in Thessalonica and he writes back to those guys and then he encourages them and he challenges them. 
And he says at the beginning in, in, in chapter four, verses one through two, he says, invest in what matters. He says, finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. And the apostle Paul is saying, hey guys, listen, you know what you've been taught. You have a spiritual foundation. You know what's been poured into you. Now you live that out. Now you invest in what matters. You don't get caught up in the things of the world. You don't drift away from God. You stay faithful to him. I think that's a powerful word for all of us, isn't it? It's so easy for us to get caught up in the world. It's so easy for us to run after the things of the world and forget what God has called us to. But he says, you invest in what matters. There's a difference between activity and accomplishment. Never forget that, right? There's a difference between activity and accomplishment. So many times you talk to people and you say, how are you doing? And they say, well, I'm just busy. And you're like, okay, well, what are you accomplishing? You know, I mean, we can get caught up in being busy. We can get caught up in being active, but are we accomplishing what God has called us to? Are we fulfilling the purpose that God has for us on this earth? There's lots of commencement addresses that are being given right now. You know, it's that time of year and Denzel Washington. Denzel Washington was invited to give the commencement address at New Orleans Dillard University over the weekend. And here's what he said. Put God first in everything you do. That was what actor Denzel Washington's message was to the graduating class at Dillard University. The Academy Award winner received loud cheers when he emphasized his relationship with God as the number one piece of advice. Everything I have is by the grace of God. Understand that. It is a gift, he said. I pray that you put your slippers way under your bed tonight so that when you wake up in the morning, you have to get on your knees to reach them. And while you're down there, say thank you. Washington also implored graduates to make a difference during their careers, not just make a living. And he cautioned them against forcing too, focusing too much on material possessions. You'll never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. His whole 10 minute speech focused on putting God first. And here's a guy, you know, who would say, the, you know, the world would say, man, you've got all the money, you've got all this success, you know, and here's a guy who's going, you know what? I gotta put God first. I gotta put God first. And in our lives, man, are we putting God first every single day? Am I putting God first? Am I investing in what matters? And then the second thing, the apostle Paul encourages them, he says, stay pure. Look at verse three. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. What is sanctified? What does that mean? It means to be set apart. That means to be different. That your life, that my life should look different than the world. It shouldn't be the same as the world. That you should be sanctified. That you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen. A passionate lust. You know, lust is, I must have it now. Lust is, what can you do for me? How can you make me feel? It's the total opposite of love. Love is what can I do for you? How can I make you feel? And the apostle Paul goes, hey guys, you're living in a culture that's all about lust. Don't give in to that like the heathen who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. He's like, don't use people just for your own gratification. Come on, you're better than that. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. 
You see what it says here is there are consequences for our sin, right? It's not that God hates you, but God disciplines, as it says in the book of Hebrews, God disciplines those he loves. Why? To draw you back into a relationship with him. And so Apostle Paul says, guys, stay pure. Stay pure. You're in the midst of a world that's that living for its own good. You're in the midst of a world that's passionate about lust and, and money and that thing. You stay pure. You have a pure heart. You have clean hands. You live for the glory of God. Guys, we're visually stimulated, aren't we? You have to watch what you watch. You have to watch the movies you watch. You have to watch the things you put in your brain because it stays in there. That mental image stays in there. Guys, we have to protect ourselves in that. Ladies, you're more emotionally stimulated, aren't you? You have to watch the connections that you have on Facebook. You have to watch the relationships you have at work with the opposite sex. You have to watch those things because I'm telling you, Satan comes along and what does he do? He wants to move us away from God. And he knows those weak spots in our hearts and our lives. So Apostle Paul is saying, guys, I love you, I love you, but you stay pure. You stay pure. You have a different calling in your life. And then he keeps going and he says, love others. Verse nine, now about brotherly love. We do not need to write to you for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. And what's he saying? He says, guys, love others. Love God. It all comes back to this, right? Love God and then love others. And if you and I daily are falling in love with God, you know what's going to pour out of us? A love for the people around us. A love for our spouse. A love for our roommates. A love for our siblings. A love for the people that God has placed us with at work or in our neighborhood. And so the Apostle Paul says, more and more, are you growing in your love? I mean, if you think about your life, Are you growing in your love? Are you growing in your love for God? Are you growing in your love for others? And then finally, Paul brings it back and it comes back for us full circle. He says, make a daily commitment to Christ. Daily commitment to Christ. Look at verse 11. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your hands just as we told you so that your, what? Daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on any body. He says, guys, it comes back to that daily taking of the cross, daily following Christ, daily holding on to Jesus. God is at work in you and God is at work through you. You know, Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he pulled his disciples together and it was almost like a commencement address. I mean, honestly, when you think about it, Jesus had been training these guys for three years Three years they've been going through training school with Jesus. Three years he had been pouring into them, pouring into them. And now Jesus brings them together. And the Bible says that that he showed them the full extent of his love. I love that, the full extent of his love. He loves these guys. And he knows, I'm getting ready to go to the cross. I'm gonna pay the price for the sins of the world. I'm not gonna be here long because I'm gonna ascend into heaven. But you guys now are gonna take it out. You're gonna live out the instructions that were placed in you. You now are gonna be the ones. And for all of us, how are we gonna live as disciples? Some of you, you're going off to college and living for Jesus and that call to go. Some of you, you're, you're new parents and you remember the things that were taught to you. Some of you, you're at a different stage in life and you're moving into a different chapter of God's story, but how are you gonna live for Christ? What difference are you gonna make day in and day out for the glory of God? And Jesus pulls these disciples together and then what does he do? He takes bread and he blesses it and he breaks it 
And he says, guys, this is my body broken for you, for you, personal. Not just for everybody, but for you. And after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant. You were under the old covenant when you sinned, you know, and you were separated from God, but here's a new covenant of grace. When you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And so this morning, we have the opportunity to come to this table. There's tables that are set up. There's a table over here. It's a gluten-free table. There's tables that are in the back, two in the back, two on the sides. Some of our leaders are going to move to the tables now to help serve communion. But guys, this is a time for us to respond. A time for us to meet with God. This isn't the invitation of myself or of Rolling Hills. This is an invitation of God to come to him. It doesn't matter what denomination you grew up in, what your background is. What matters is if you have a relationship with Christ. If Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. And I want to invite you to come to the table to take a piece of the bread, his body broken for you, to dip into the cup, his blood poured out for you, and to receive the gift that only he can give. When you come, maybe it's a time where you just say, God, I confess, I've been drifting, you know, my, my life's been consumed with the things of this world, and God, I just want to come back to you. And maybe today you come and you just go, God, I need you. I feel like Job right now. Ah, things are just so hard. And yet, God, I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful. Maybe today you just want to come and say, God, I'm all yours. My heart is yours. <laughs> I'm just giving everything to you. And I'm trusting you. I don't know where you are, but I know this, God is here. <laughs> God is here. In the good times and the tough times, God is here. And God loves you. And there's not an accident in the world that would say that you've made him mad or anything. God has brought you here today to hear from him, to hear about grace, to hear about hope, to hear about love, because God loves you. So Father, here we are, your disciples. And God, we need you. Father, we need you. God, we live in a broken world. We live in a world of hurt and pain and And yet, God, we thank you that you are faithful, that you love us more than we could dream or imagine, that you are with us right here, right now. So draw us close to your heart, Father, that we may see you, open our eyes. And Father, today we put a stake in the ground that Jesus, you are enough for us. And we're gonna hold on to you for the rest of our lives. Thank you for your presence this morning. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray and we come to your table as an expression of our love and faithfulness to you. Amen. You're invited to come to his table.
Spirit, come make us humble. We turn our eyes from evil things. Oh Lord, we cast out our idols. So give us clean hands, give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to
ushers come forward this morning for our offering. Let's sing this prayer together. My heart is yours. My heart is yours. Take it all. Take it all. My life in your hands. My heart is yours. My heart is yours. Take it all. Take it all. My life in your hands. Take it all. Take it all. My life in your hands. Jesus. Father, that is our prayer this morning. As we give all to you, we freely give right now in this moment. Our heart, our life, our finances, our stories, our jobs, our families. Father, we give to you. My name is Jessica Largen and I've been going to Rolling Hills for about six years now. So I have been participating in the church has left the building for about three years now. And I was a little hesitant at first, I will say. I wasn't sure what it was about, you know, the, the church coming together and then leaving to go serve in the community, but I was open to it. And so I participated and I was hooked. I thought it was a great opportunity. I think it's such a great way for people to get involved in the community. It's a great outreach for you to really just become aware of what's going on in your community. I think it's a great kind of catalyst to get you out there to see what the needs are in the community. It's very easy for people to kind of um, have a misperception that serving or even um, serving in, mission, in a mission capacity means that you've got to go outside of the city, the state, the country even to help others. But there's so many needs just in the community if you just look around and see what's going on. So the Church Has Left the Building provides a great opportunity for you to get connected and engaged in the community and what needs are out there in the places that we live. So I would say my most memorable church has left the building was probably last year when I assisted the um, Christian Women's Job Corps in downtown Nashville. I think they were moving to a different facility, so there was a lot of um, there was a lot of shredding happening and a lot of moving and packing of boxes, and so we were there to help out. So we really spent the day with this agency and just learned more about what they do in the community, and it got me to thinking. Um, I've been in the human resources field for about 11 years now and helping out people in the workplace, making sure people have a satisfactory quality of life in the workplace, and that's really what energizes me. Um, and it's one of my passions. So I thought, how can I apply that to the community? So I do volunteer work with the uh, Middle Tennessee Career Centers in Murfreesboro and Nashville as well. So basically that involves helping out um, people, job seekers with their resumes, interview tips, personal branding, um, just being a part of that career journey for individuals and helping them to find that best right job for them. And there's nothing to me more gratifying and energizing to be able to use the gifts that God gave me in that capacity. To me, the Church Has Left the Building event, I feel like it's a great catalyst for you to do more. I mean, it's a one-day event. It's great that you're getting out and serving your community. But I really think for me, it was kind of a door and a pathway to new opportunities. And how can I apply my skill sets to serve in the community? I encourage everyone to get involved, to take that first step, because I really think it can lead to great and unique opportunities um, for you to help live the mission and um, to help others and serve in your community. church next Sunday. Next Sunday, we're meeting at 9.30 a.m. and then we're going out to serve all over Franklin and Nashville. It is an awesome day. And so we will be serving from 9.30 
to about 12.30. So if you have yet to sign up, stop in the gallery, sign up. There's projects for kids and for students, for adults. It's one of my favorite days of the year because it's like we're being the church, right? The church has left the building. We're going out to serve and be the hands and feet of Christ. So jump in. When you leave this morning, there'll be people at the doors. We'd love for you to grab a bag with you. We are going to stock up food for GraceWorks. And so their hardest time to collect food is right now, and their biggest needs are during the summer. And so we are just going to overwhelm them with food. And so somebody told me that the Harris Teeter's going out over here, so that food canned goods are on sale. Whatever it takes, go fill up the bags and let's figure it out and let's just bless them and then let's go out to serve. We have t-shirts available too, so sign up out there and come next Sunday at 9.30. So just remember, if you show up at 11, you come find us because we'll be somewhere. <laughs> we won't be here, but come find us somewhere and serve. So grab a bag. The following week, we begin a brand new series and it's gonna be awesome. It's called The Best is Yet to Come. So you see this in your worship guide. Take it and give it to somebody and invite them to come. Uh, it's gonna be a great summer series. Love you to be a part of that. And what a great day. So graduates, congratulations. We are proud of you guys. God's gonna do great things through you. Let's just give them a hand. Way to go. So... It's awesome. And parents, way to go. Great job. You know, the Bible says train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. So giving them a foundation in church, that's what we're about. Just raising up the next generation in Christ. I love being on this journey with you, church. Let's stand together. Let me pray a blessing over us. And then let's go to live out his word. Father, thanks for today. Thank you for your word and your truth, for worship, Father, for gathering together, for relationships, God, and for community and for church, and most of all, for Christ, and for coming to your table and the grace that we receive. And now send us out as people who are redeemed and restored to share the love of Christ with others. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray and we go. Amen, amen. Blessings on you. Have a great, great week. Thanks for being here.